This, 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 this is mythical. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Ear Biscuits, I'm Link. And I'm Rhett. This week at the round table of dim lighting, we are exploring the question, how do we deal with a medical crisis? And let me just say, first of all, we're both fine. Neither one of us are personally in a medical crisis. Right. Uh, but, but this is something that happened uh, over the past Link. Over the past Not week. Not personally, but personally. Um, but. I have been dealing with a family medical crisis, which um, I'd love to just be able to verbally process through uh, with you gentle listener, as well as you, gentle friend. And I don't wanna, I'm, gentleman. Not, I'm not trying to spoil anything here. Yeah, but, but we should. The, this person that you're gonna be talking about is fine now. Yes. So, I, cause, cause, cause we're gonna be having fun. This is gonna be, this is gonna be uh, also lighthearted. Yeah. It, we're gonna talk about some serious things that happen, but we're also gonna be having a good time, joking because in the end, everything is okay. Well, this is, um, what happened, and you know, I uh, I'll walk through the details well, and unpack it. Well, first we got to let people know. Oh, uh, we, we're going to keep telling you. Oh, about uh, our dates, educating yes. you about where we're going to be. We are coming to a town near you. If you happen to be in Las Vegas, we're going to be there on June twenty first. Salt Lake City, June twenty second. Denver, the twenty third. Milwaukee, the twenty fifth. Indianapolis, the twenty sixth. Detroit, the twenty seventh. Omaha, the twenty ninth, and Minneapolis. On the 30th, again, this is Rhett and Link Live in concert, not the Tour of Mythicality, and uh, debuting, uh, well, if you've seen them all, there's some new songs that are, have never been heard before on the internets, and then of course the old classics, the rap battles, there's there's potential dress up that happens. Dress up, that is uh, a good way to put it. Anyway, it's. Uh, we play dress up. You buy a ticket, we play dress up. And there's also VIP tickets available. Uh, of course, you're all very important people. That's just the uh, industry vernacular to describe someone who pays for a ticket where we get to have a little meet and greet. So all that and more at rentlinklive.com. Come see us, rentlinklive.com. So um, I, in some ways, I am still very much processing what happened over the past week. Um, and it involves my mom's husband, Lewis, who I've talked about many times. Um, he's technically my stepdad because he's my mom's husband, mm -hmm. but he's not my dad. He's your stepdad. That's what I just said. But I've never, I've he, never he, actually ended up calling him my stepdad. I'll end up saying something like, "He's my father-in-law," which if, is if I'm pressed, incorrect. But because and, and strange. He married my mom. I mean, they were dating uh, when I was in high school, and you know, um, I've known him for a long time, and I love him. But he didn't raise you. I do love him, and he, but he didn't raise me, and I and I never lived with him. So when you know, I got married, and then Christy was pregnant with Lily, and that's when my mom and Lewis got married. So we've got there's an interesting dynamic to the nature of our relationship that I love him, 
but he's not, he is my stepdad, but I don't call him that because well, he didn't, in experience, it just doesn't feel and, like and, what a stepdad feels like. And actually, I think that my mom's husband is the correct. I, well, that's true too. No, I know, I, but I'm but saying. father-in-law. If I, if I meet a. Is not If correct. I meet a person, if I'm just at a party and I'm having a conversation with somebody and they begin telling me a story and they say, my mom's husband, I immediately know, oh, not your stepdad. Your right. stepdad is somebody who you usually would say raised you, right? But father-in-law, you gotta stop saying that. But father-in-law. Because confu- yes. what's gonna happen is you're gonna be seen with him in public at some point and they're gonna be like, oh, that's your father-in-law? No, this is my father-in-law. Then you're one of those guys that has two families, one being secret. <laughs> and you can't have a, you I, can't be one of those guys. W- well, I mean, I do have a secret family, but I, w- I have nothing to do with this. I will say that uh, Shepard asked me, um, there was something in the, there was something in the car and uh, when he got into the car the other day, and he was like, "Where's this from?" I said, "Oh, that's from that's one one of the kids in my uh, in my secret family left it in here." <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. Is it? I, hopefully, he <laughs> meant imaginary family. Uh, I said, "You know, like a lot of people have a second family," and he so don't joke about. It. Oh, I thought you said this was Shepherd. You said it, Locke. It was Shepherd. Oh, you just said Locke. Uh, you meant Shepherd. Okay, I meant Shepherd the whole okay. time. Anyway, I I joke like that with my children. They know that it's a joke. So. Get off my case. But was he joking when he told you is the question. He didn't tell me. He, he said, where is this from? And I said, it's from. Oh, you said that. Yeah. I'm, I'm messed up. I think story. everyone else understood. I don't know if I said it in a confusing way, but I'm sorry if so I did. So confused. Um, so anyway, Lewis, my father-in-law, <laughs> that does come into the story later, by the way. He He's doing well now, but he had, I, I'm not, I don't wanna over, sensationalize it, um, but. Well then just sensationalize it. I'll just say, but I do think it was a brush with mortality, a brush with death. Um, It took some time for that to sink in and so I'll I'll unpack that. Like I said, some of this I'm still still processing but um, he gave me permission to talk about it here and um, take it for what it's worth. My mom and Lewis, they came they came out here last year and then we visited for Thanksgiving and then that's the last time we've seen them in person so they kinda wanted to come out again. Um, but they've got, they got a house, they got farmland, he drives around his farmland on his gator and he surveys his land and he sees turkeys and he keeps an eye on how many turkeys are come around. And for those of you who don't understand what a gator is, it doesn't mean he's like on an alligator. He's on like a, it's like a John Deere crazy Go-kart. off-road golf Off- cart kind of thing. I kinda wanted the mystique to be that maybe he's just saddled an alligator, but fine. Well if you wanna believe that, yeah, go ahead. Clear up the mystique. We got, he's got cows. Mom names some of them and then he takes care of them. They have babies. He makes sure that everything's good to go. You know, he's got, basically has a farm to run. Right, right. So it's hard to get away and um, they're not the traveling type. Mm-hmm. So uh, we planned this a long time in advance and uh, I think mom came down with something they had, to, they had to reschedule one time. Something came up, I can't remember. But then um, weekend before last they were coming out and they were gonna show up Friday night and then they were gonna, they like to stay in a hotel not at our house, so we, you know, we make them feel comfortable in whatever way they want, and then they were going to fly back Monday. So they were. It's a quick trip. They were only staying two days. Those cows. They got, they got to get back somebody, to their cows. Somebody's got to look after them. Um, and we were very much looking forward to making the most of those two days. 
So we pick them up at the airport, the whole family's in the car and like we're crammed into there and we pick them up at the curb and I, I can immediately tell that like, um, Lewis is road ragged. He doesn't look great. And I'm like, man, the f- flight must not have been great. Uh, they get in the car, put the luggage in and we're driving them. It was late so, especially by their time. So we were trying to, we just went straight to their hotel. Did you say anything at that point? Did you say like, you look awful, which is, you shouldn't say that to someone right no, when they get no. off of a plane. Um, I've made that mistake. It did not look good. But I was like, well, how was the flight? And they said it was okay. A lot of and, turbulence. Um, Lewis didn't have much appetite. Uh, they didn't say much about turbulence or anything like that. But they were, I mean, he was very quiet. And you may have heard me talk about this before, but the thing we love to talk about Lewis is that he's got this catchphrase. Good, good, good. Like if he's talking to the kids, you know, the whole week leading up to them coming, I'm talking to all the kids and I'm like, I'm talking like Lewis. I'm like doing my impersonation of him. I'm like, Lincoln, you've been doing your push ups. How's basketball? And I'm like, Lincoln, you're not playing basketball anymore, so you got to be ready for your answer because you know Popeye's going to ask you about basketball and your push ups. You might need to just make up that you're, you're not still been playing doing with basketball. <laughs> so he had his answer prepared, and I was like, um, you can just tell him that you're mountain biking with your dad and you're still staying active, and then he'll just say, good, good, good. <laughs> Giving your kids answers. <laughs> just trying to do coach you, it. Do, do, just let them come up with their own answers, man. But we were looking forward to that catchphrase, and I couldn't help but notice he was quiet and there was no good, good, goods happening on the ride to the to the hotel. But he wasn't saying bad, bad, bad. He was not it, saying. It, it doesn't go that far. No. Okay. And I took a wrong turn and uh, me and Christy kinda snapped at each other a little bit. What about the GPS? I was like, well, you know how when sometimes your phone's hooked up to the cords and then every, it, the map's not showing up on the car play and, it, and I'm having to drive but I can't see the turn mm, and yeah. now I'm going the wrong way and I'm getting angry yeah. and I gotta direct that anger at somebody right. even though my mama's in the car and I haven't seen her in person since Thanksgiving, I'm right. not gonna direct it towards my mom or Lewis. So Christy got a little bit of that, she gave it right back. Good. She, good, yeah, good, good, good. Good, 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 <laughs> I deserved it. And then so I thought that the silence might have been as a result of me being an ass. Right, okay. We get to the hotel, we check them in, they're, they're tired. You know, we let them. We let them go to sleep. We're gonna. I was like, we'll come pick you up as early as you want in the morning. You're on East Coast time. Well, mom never called, so we finally called about mid morning, and she's like, Lewis is not doing well. Um, he's he kind of he he's feeling faint, and he's he's passing blood when he uses the bathroom. And I'm like, well, not good, good, good. No. So we come, we pick him up, and we're like. We go straight to the emergency room. Now, g- explain that decision to me because well, that, when you're when you're passing blood, well, no, no, but you I'm need just, to go to the I'm emergency just te- room. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, like I, I am the kind of person that always minimizes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm that way too. This is Christy driving okay. this train, right? So Christy, Christy is she's good in those situations. She she has a natural nursing instinct. Yeah, I've never nursed her. Just, just, <laughs> just so you understand. Great. And I, uh, but she has that like she's kind of she she's good in medical situations. She kind of ha- there's a certain mode. She goes to into go that, into that she goes mode. into like this ready contingency mode. Then when we were going to sleep the night before, she was like, "Now the nearest hospital where they're staying in Pasadena is like the Huntington." Well, 
the, if, hospital. For those of you who uh, understand the Enneagram, a six is really well equipped at, That's at, what she is. at, at these sort of contingency plans. So sh she was like, I think Lewis wasn't doing good and if we're gonna, we may have to take him to the emergency room. She already said that the night before. Right. And that's she why was, she, she was, was calling she was mom. Um, they ch they checked him in, and uh, he was. I don't. I don't. I actually don't think he passed more blood when he was there. And then you know it takes a while to process. And they like they said we're gonna we're gonna admit you because something's going on here. There's internal bleeding, uh, you know, or there has there's evidence to that. Right. Uh, and your blood count is low. They check him in um, to the ICU intensive care unit. And so they're monitoring him very closely. And one of the nurses said to mom, your husband is very sick. I was like, well, what does that, what does that mean? Well, we don't know yet. The, the, um, the gastro doctor comes in and um, they did a scope from down his throat. They, oh, like, they like put him under for a little bit. We stepped out of the room. Um, and they, less than a half hour, they did this procedure where they put the scope down his esophagus, through his stomach, looking at everything into his small intestine, and then we come back in there and he's already awake again. But the news is, Lewis has over 10 ulcers in his small intestine. Mm. Good gracious, this does not sound good. Um, and the not, not the stomach, the small intestine. Yeah, the duodenum. Duodenum, mm -hmm. I don't know how you say it. Yeah, um, you know if you take that out, you can stretch it around the earth nine times. <laughs> <laughs> just Lewis's, you know how long just, his is? Yeah, yeah, just an individual's. Oh, yeah. okay, mm -hmm. that can't be true. But it can't, That's it how also, quickly light travels, the speed of light, I think, around the earth, <laughs> nine times in a second, I don't know. I'm, um, just, I'm confusing facts. The doctor gave us the good news that even though there's so many, he's, what. I don't know if this is a southern saying because the doctor didn't say it. He was from LA. He wouldn't but what I would say is he's eat up with ulcers. He's eat up with them. Mm -hmm. But he said there was one in particular that looked bigger and it had a scab that had formed over it. Just like skin on the outside of your body. This is tough to listen to. Um yeah, I'm sorry. I'm surprised I'm able to talk about it. We can get into that more later, but he said that just like skin on the outside of your body on the inside of your intestine that forms a scab with which then it heals. And he said, I agitated the scab, you know, it's amazing, you put the scope down there with a, uh, with a camera and take pictures, you see the live video, you can, and you can blast water and also medication through this uh, scope. And, and they can control it like with a, like a kind of thing, like once it gets down there. It was actually very easy to control. You can like manipulate he, it. He, he said, "You want to try it?" And then it was it was like two joysticks. No, I didn't see I didn't see the thing, man. We went out, so I didn't, I don't know how many joysticks there were. I'm just assuming that to be that precise, like it has some sort of, you know, mechanical head on it. At the moment, I was not asking about the mechanical well, head. Again, that's what I do in these situations because I don't want to talk about the real. You deflect. I don't. I, I want to talk. About, let's talk about the mechanics and the machinery that's inside of him right now. <laughs> how about the, that? But he said he sprayed it with a little water and then it, all evidence pointed to the fact that it was gonna stay, which was great news. And it also meant that you know, if, the, if they monitored him and there was no more bleeding, that, that meant that there wasn't any other source of bleeding lower down and like the rest of his GI tract. 
because uh, to do a colonoscopy, to go from the top up, you'd have, you have bo- to. The bottom up. Yeah, from the bottom up, you'd have to wait to to like totally clean out the entire system. Yeah. And that was just more time that, but anyway, at that point we were in a holding pattern and because it's the because ICU. Because that equipment is very expensive, you don't want shit all over it. And <laughs> Yes, Rhett, that's exactly what it is. I'm trying not to be that graphic. In the ICU, they they make everyone leave while they have shift change. So, um, just so happens that we had made reservations for this Japanese steakhouse before we knew any of this was gonna yeah, happen. Yeah, take a break, go eat some Japanese. So we're like gonna, <laughs> I, you make me feel horrible about it, but like, Christy was like, I'm gonna stay around. We have reservations, Link. Gr- gr- <laughs> gr- granny, why don't you go and see the kids and yeah. just take a break because you're not, we're not allowed to be in here anyway. Yeah. And it's very close. And it was it one when they throw the shrimp in the hat? Yeah, they show the, uh, throw the, the shrimp fi- and all. Fire volcano made of onions. I thought that would be nice. Oh yeah, very, it's always nice. So Christy stayed back, so she was like very much in proximity even though she wasn't allowed to be in there. And then I took mom, because we had good news and we were in a holding pattern. Oh, so you um, went to the Japanese I went too. Yeah, me and mom met Britton and the kids that we met at the, at the Japanese steakhouse. Did you get a combo of chicken, shrimp, and beef? Yes, you're deflecting now. (laughs) No, I really am interested in what people order at that. I I always get the combo. And I'm, you know, we're all on edge, but it was was nice for her to see the kids because otherwise she wasn't able to see them. And I I go up to use the restroom right before he starts flipping shrimp. And as I'm walking to the restroom, I look up and dad gum if it isn't the scope doctor. The freaking scope doctor, the gastro guy. Okay was at the Japanese restaurant. I heard you guys talking about this, but I didn't understand that, that this was the story. Yeah, he was one of those hibachi guys, he worked there. Yeah, yeah. well you know what, doctors these days don't make enough money. <laughs> right. You, you, gotta, you gotta have a backup. He plan. was there with his family at another table, and I went up, I, I was like, I found myself upon him by surprise on my way to the bathroom, so I'm, I'm in his face and I'm like, I recognize him and I'm like, hey doc, I'm, you just, uh, you were just treating my father-in-law. Right, yeah. And again, I just said, I just came out with father-in-law and it worked. Yeah, because he doesn't know. And he, he understands that it's not, you know, I don't know what he understood, but it was easy. Right, he just got the chicken though because but he, it was, he's a doctor. It was weird because it was like one of those moments where remember in like, I'm, well I remember in middle school when I went to Walmart one time when I was in Third grade, and like I saw Miss Hobbs, my third grade teacher, in like the yeah. the chips aisle at like, Walmart. What they have, they can be outside of school as well. And like she started talking to me, and I felt really weird, and I got embarrassed, and I was like, okay, I don't know how to talk. Did I get I a grade on this conversation? Yeah, I felt it. I felt like a third grader in the hibachi restaurant talking to my teacher. Right, it was weird, but he was very nice. And he came over and he talked to mom and she was very appreciative because we had good news at that and point. He was like, you wanna see some pictures of the ulcers? He had already shown us those. But, and out at the restaurant. Yeah, but not right there. Um, and then I was like, we brought the kids back and we took them up to see Lewis when they allowed us to go back in the ICU. And the nurse had a funny look on her face and I looked around into the room and like Lewis did not look good at all, he looked worse. And then the kids like said hello and then it was kinda like, Christy why don't you just take the kids back home, I'll stay here with mom and then I'll Uber back later. Cause the plan was we were all leaving and mom was just gonna stay. Cause we were, but 
it took a while for it to really sink in, but I mean, what had happened was he had started passing blood. Again. Again. And this sounds like a great place for a teaser. Now oh, okay. people know, oh, things got worse. Um, things so get worse before they get better, but they do. Ear Biscuits is supported by AC Pro. It's blazing hot outside. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows out hot air. The issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with an AC Pro. Ear Biscuits is supported by the Farmer's Dog. Dogs will eat basically anything you put in front of them. And if you're Barbara, you will like <laughs> seek it out off of tables, counters. That that woman is crazy, <laughs> uh, that woman being my dog. Uh, so it's important to be putting the right kind of food in their bowls. Right, and when you care about your dogs as much as we care about ours, you know, a thoughtful approach to what goes in those bowls Makes sense. Yes, the farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. Just tell them about your dog and they'll deliver personalized vet developed recipes for as little as $2 a day. The meals arrive pre-portioned and in ready to serve packs delivered on your schedule. Millions of meals have been ordered across the country. We've been partnering with the Farmer's Dog for a few years now and they really are as good as they say. It really has never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash ear. The hindsight of the experience, it just seems much more clear than when it's, ha when, when, when things are progressing in the hospital, it, it, you know, the, the nurses and doctors are reacting to things and it's not that they're not communicating, but it's the combination of them doing their jobs, trying to communicate, but also the ability for that to sink in, for, to be able to receive the information. Every, you know, the doctor would just drop in occasionally and it's go time to like, have your questions. Could you imagine just. And that's difficult. Could you imagine being the person? Like I, neither one of us would be good at that. We might be good at executing. You mean the patient? The, no, the nurse. Oh gosh. Be, like having to do something, but then also explain to someone in a sympathetic tone what's actually happening. Forget about it. What, one of my big takeaways from this thing is I have an, um, a, just a blossomed um, appreciation specifically for nurses mm -hmm. in a hospital environment. It, they they are amazing people who do an amazingly difficult job, and that that's a big part of it. Interacting not only with the patient but with the the loved ones who are there present. Um, and for me, it's like I'm bringing my kids. One of my kids is too young to actually be there, and I'm breaking the rules for him to come up. So. You know, and really, then, what's the age limit? Uh, fourteen, in the ICU, and they let you do that. Well, yeah, a fourteen-year-old, but not a nine-year-old. No, but you were able to get Lando in. Well, I, I just kind of went up with him, because oh. I was like, he's, Lewis is fine, and he'll his spirits will be lifted by seeing you for a minute. Uh, that that was not smart. I should have I should have respect that rule. The nurse actually told me he could see things in the ICU that 
Well, he will a never nine forget. Year, a nine-year-old may not want to will see. Will be etched on his brain forever. I was like, wow, I'm an idiot, and you really made a good point. I'm gonna take my kids out of here now. You know, it's just like, my headspace was so, this is gonna be over at any moment. This is gonna be okay, we already got good news. Yes, he has ulcers, yes, he's gotta figure that stuff out, and there's gonna be more treatment to come when he gets back home, um, but he's, He's, out, he's in the clear. When we got back, I mean, Christy took the kids away and they're just, they had already been giving him blood because he had lost blood already uh, the night before. Um, I think by this point, they, would give, they were giving him like six, seven, eight pints of blood. Whoa, 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 already? I'm telling you. I mean, I was there, this is like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, and then, because you don't ha you don't have that much. I I told you about this recently. Yeah, for the book we we had to. Oh, you don't want to say that? Well, no. I we we, we had to. Okay, I, I say we can it. say that. We I had to look up uh, for a part of the book we were working on. Uh, how much blood is in a human body? Yeah, and, and what's uh, the answer? I think the average adult just has like two gallons of blood. Well, how many pints is that? I don't know. Three pints in a gallon. No, hopefully more than that. Four, I thought there was only four pints in a gallon. All I'm saying is. Kiko a, will look it up, because we're stupid. There's a lot less blood in a human body, and so giving him that much blood, like he didn't have hardly any. Well, and then, the, the thing is, he was confined to the bed. What is it, Kiko? Eight pints to a gallon. Eight, Eight pints, pints to a gallon. And then how many, you said there were how many gallons in a body? It's like two gallons of blood in a body. So 16 pints. Look that up too, I wanna make sure. I, 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 How many pints of blood in an average body? Because I will say by the end of this, they gave him 12 pints of blood. How many? Tw 12. They 12 gave him pints? So that's, wow, so they about gave a gallon him, and a half of blood in an average person. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, they gave him enough <sighs> blood that fills up a human body. Because yeah, that's crazy. That's what so su surprised me because and the yes, you, and the more it uh, yeah. and, and and again, it's like they kept giving him when they were giving him two, three, four, five. Concerns start to raise, my man, and they said, "Okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to give him a central line. We can't, we can't use the IVs to keep up with him passing the blood." And it was a very visceral experience. Uh, which he doesn't remember any of, even though he was conscious, he was talking, but um, he wasn't very lucid. And, yeah. Uh, you know, as you can imagine. Right. And in that situation, you can't move him out of the bed and he's he's passing blood. I mean, it's a, it's a visceral and horrible uh, situation to be bedside for that. Okay, and this is coming from the guy who you you can't take any amount of blood, and the thought of needles, and they're sitting there filling and again, your, your father-in-law. <laughs> yeah, just filling him up with, with. I mean, how he's like a fountain; it's just passing through him. Did you go into a mental space, like a, a un before tapped, never before tapped mental space, in order to get through this without fainting? Whenever they would. Earlier on, whenever he started passing blood and they would clean him up, I would step out. I mean, but I felt like that, that was just like to give him privacy and for them to do their job. 
Um, so you were in, and then I would you come back in, in. Uh, like but I was in a, a mode, zone. I, w- zone. I guess I was in a, I was in a zone of like, it was kind of a, um, it was just, it was a bit of a fog. It was like not realizing how dire things were getting. But then when they said we need to give him a central line in his neck, so that we can pump blood in and keep up with how quickly he's losing blood, and we're getting the doctor back in here to do another scope in order to see where the new bleeding is coming from. Well, it just goes to show you not only how important blood is, yeah. like how you know there there are these places. There are so many places on Earth that don't even have adequate amounts of you know clean blood. Yeah. It, and yeah, I mean, it's you, if, if privilege just to be in a place that you can lose that much blood and immediately have it replenished. I don't know what the PSA is here, but give blood. I, I think thought it, about it's that part too, of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, be willing to take blood. I know there's some people. There was never a conversation about that. Well, I know, there, but there, there, yeah. There, if, if you, there are people who, if you currently subscribe to a worldview that doesn't allow you to take blood. Reevaluate that worldview. Well, he would have died. That's my second PSA. He would have died within a few hours of being at the hospital. He wouldn't have got anywhere close to this yeah. if he could if he couldn't take blood. I mean, um, they couldn't they couldn't find a central line in his neck that worked, and they had to do a central line in his groin, and then and basically his hip, and then they're pumping him full of blood in order to just gain time. And it was at that point that I realized that like. Oh my gosh! This is Serious? this is very dire. I mean, this is touch and go. And how's your mom handling this at the time? She was in more. I w- I wouldn't call what she was in a fog. She was in more of a supportive. She she was um, very positive, and I mean, she was going to work in terms of just being positive and in support mode. It was and she comes. It was amazing. A, she she's comes from a medical background, being yeah. in like a clinical. Place, yeah, so she she took blood for a living, and right. like from a, she's she's used to being around blood and like medical environments. Yeah, uh, so she wasn't shaken up by that. But she said later that it it dawned on her the next morning how dire things were there. I just think that she was in a mode where she wasn't allowing herself to to um to go to the the dark uh, potentials. Okay, the dark potentials. The dark potentials. That's the name of our second novel. But they, the doctor finally showed up, and he, you know, they got ahead of it a little, the bleeding a little bit. But um, he, he was, I mean, it was, it was scary because there was blood all over the bed, mm. and they would just, they couldn't keep up with it, so they would put a blanket down over him, and uh, he was, you know, he, he was disoriented. So at times he would look down. And he would move the the blanket, and he would see all the blood, or he wouldn't see it, and his hand would be his hand would like go down there to feel what's going on. <laughs> this is tough for me to listen to. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I guess the reason Ugh. the the reason why I I share it is because, um, I think I can never imagine that I would be bedside for a situation like that, and I'm am with my mom, and it was. I'm glad that we were able to be supportive, but it it was very scary, and I never would have thought that I would have been able to be to contribute to a supportive environment when it was that scary. Um, well, which is but, okay. So I'm I'm not 
I'm by no I'm surprised. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that like these things happen, and uh, maybe you go in a mode. But if you don't, it's I feel more prepared having gone through it to be more supportive. Well, I do think that I will say that uh, the human brain is really complex, and I think that what ends up happening a lot of times is you know that you you can't afford to check out. I think right. there are certain situations where you can afford to check out, like when you cut yourself at Christmas. It's like, it's yeah. not that big of a deal to just. And faint into your real father-in-law's arms, which right. uh, I did. It, you know, so, but my question is, did you, why were you the one that was there? It was just circumstances, circumstances because of the way that you brought the kids in and then, you didn't know how bad it was gonna get. Cause did you, if you think about how bad it was going to get and Christy and you both knew how bad it was going to get and they had to make a dec- you had to make a decision who was gonna stay, you probably would have picked Christy to stay and you would have gone home with the kids. No, or was I, it because it was your, your relations? Yeah, it was because, I mean, mom, well, uh, I, I'll, I'll back into that. Cause I do think it's, it's interesting because I, I feel so much and I've felt so much for Lewis and mom because they don't travel and then they find themselves going through this situation so far from home with no with no support structure beyond me and Christy. Right. It's like they know no one else except they might have met people in passing through us, but there's no one like back home Lewis has an extended family that they're very tight knit. Um so his real name is Ed I think Lewis is his middle name, Ed with two Ds. And in the hospital they kept asking him, what's your name? And then in order to give medication to do treatment, they had or just know if he was lucid, they would ask him his name and they were expecting him to say Ed and he would say Lewis. So they would think it was worse than it was. But his brother, Ed, he's got a brother, Ned, Ted and Fred. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, and, <laughs> and you better believe they all would have been there as well as you know his children and everybody else who, who loves him and obviously would have been there to support him. Ned, Ted, Fred, and Ed. Uh, and Peggy. Yeah, there's not there's yep. not a good typical uh, woman name. But they call her Ped. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, there may be other siblings, I can't remember. But anyway, because they're out here, like it's just me and Christy with mom to, to, to we find ourselves in this weird situation where we're the only support that they've got. So. When we had to send the kids, I was like, well, mom's gonna stay there for Lewis and I'm gonna stay there for mom. I'm gonna support mom and mom's gonna support Lewis. And then that, I, honestly, that's the first way that I thought about it. I think that changed over that night and the next few days. And we can talk about that some more. But at this point, yeah, I w- we did actively make that decision for me to be there with mom. And so by 1 a.m., the doctor's showing back up and doing the scope and finding that that problem ulcer was basically at this point obviously gushing blood. Ugh, you, uh, and then he used that we gotta same scope. got to put a trigger warning on this episode. To put, <laughs> to put, maybe my, I think maybe I'm able to talk about this in a way that like maybe I feel differently about blood now. Well, but you're also the one saying it, so it's not happening, un- un- happening yeah. unexpectedly. Um, and he's able to use that scope and his hibachi hands. Right, still got chicken grease on them. <laughs> and he's he sprayed some like epinephrine. You think he puts the redneck sauce on, on his uh, chicken? 
He puts his redneck sauce on that ulcer and it just sutures right up. That The, the creamy sauce that you can get at the hibachi place, we always call redneck, redneck sauce, sauce because only, that you go over to Japan, they don't have that sauce, okay? That's something rednecks came up with. It's good. Now it's good. <laughs> I, t- I took the whole bowl that night and I just poured it all over my plate. I was like. <laughs> I'm a redneck. <laughs> yeah, my, I can feel my mullet growing. <laughs> so, he, so he. Epinephrine. He put some epinephrine on it and it basically sutured it up. It's a vasoconstrictor. And then. Who knew? And he showed us, well he did. And he showed us pictures of it. And I'm thinking, man, I saw you at the freaking hibachi at like seven o'clock. Yeah, you can't be here. And now it's 1 a.m. and you're here. Right. And I'm in third grade. It's so weird. That was excellent news, but as we were waiting for him to do the scope, mom and I had to step out and just wait, and it was like, we were sitting in the in the waiting room, just the two of us, no one else was in there, and we were, we didn't say a word. It was, we were so, Exhausted. It's like somebody who's been through a battle together. You yeah. Know, you just you, you just, just sit there. You just sit there, and it was very surreal. And she told me that it really hadn't sunken in at that point how dire things were. She was in that mode, and um, kind of in fight mode and stay positive mode. And so at that point, it was very touching. the The great news was they had stopped the bleed. They found the bleeding. They had stopped the bleeding. They didn't have to. Um, uh, do a second procedure which could have damaged the kidneys in order to try to find the bleeding or a third procedure, worst case, where they had to do surgery. The surgeons were coming in and like prepping him for that too in case they had to. It was it was that, every, everybody every, everybody was buzzing around and it was, um, yeah, it was very kinetic and it was, uh, it was real, man. And, by that morning, he had stabilized, and of course, he wasn't given any drink or food for probably the next forty-eight hours, as it turns out. But they were well, monitoring. They were, giving, they were hydrating him intravenously. Yeah, and, or else he would die. And giving him medicine for the ulcers, and giving him medicine to help the, you know, to preserve them from bleeding, and uh, giving him more blood. <laughs> you know. To Can't come out of that. to come out to a a total of fourteen units, fourteen pints. So Crazy. again, he replaced his blood supply. Yeah, he completely it's replaced wild. his butt blood supply. It's wild. And so then everybody needs that. It's just like changing your transmission fluid I mean, every once in a while. That I mean, that's literally what happened. But it was it. They didn't drain him out and then fill him up. It was a constant flow. It was more of yeah. Uh, you, you can't you can you can't do that with a human. It was a nightmare. You can do that with a car. It was an absolute nightmare. And then, so then for the next two days, it's kind of touch and go to make sure that he's not bleeding, and even though he's not eating, and then as you slowly introduce uh, drinking, and then eating foods like clear foods and all that jazz, it's it's just continue to monitor that he's not bleeding and. Um, Let's see, so we checked him in Saturday morning. We checked him out by the end of the week. So he was there a whole week. So then it was, it basically shifted from emergency situation. He left the ICU to a regular hospital room, which then you and Jesse came that first night and visited him there, which was great. But um, 
then it it was just that's when it really started to hit us that um there's only three people to support him and his recovery as he's here and that i mean that proved to be very challenging because my mom stayed there all night and then i would as soon as i could get up in the morning i would go and and relieve her like either Christy would come get her or I'd send her home to my house in an Uber to take a shower and try to sleep for a few hours. And then um, I would, Christy and mom would come and then I would go into work for a few hours. And then, so someone was always there with him for the whole week. And I just, I, I really gained an appreciation for how important it is to have people come visit. Like when you guys came that night to visit, it was a tremendous help and something that I'd never, like, you know, I never appreciate it when it's like, someone's in the hospital sick, well, you should go see them, you know? You should you should go see them because it's the right thing to do. I, but I, I never really connected the dots that like, for the people who are actively supporting the person in recovery, it's also a huge help to them to like, you run out of stuff to talk about. You run out of, it's it, it drains all of your energy to sit in a hotel, a hotel in a hospital room, hmm. you know, and when, doctors and nurses are coming in and just constantly pricking, prodding and doing stuff and it's not a happy, it's not Disneyland, you know? So that, I mean that is. Well no, and as a matter a take of fact. Takeaway. Um, and we were there for a very, a short period of time, but it, first of all, I got lost. I had a window of time between leaving here and then going to therapy and uh, I had kind of planned to have like half an hour and Jesse was gonna meet me. But my freaking uh, GPS, my, my my phone, sent me to the back of the hospital. Yeah, that's the wrong, and it's a big hospital. And I parked and then I had to, I mean, I was like 20 minutes from my car. And then when I, and then I, I walk into the, the the lobby, the hospital lobby, and I, real, and I see you checking in and you had left work like way after me. Oh yeah. And that's when I see through the window and I see like the thing I had been looking for the whole time, like the grand hospital entrance with like, there's there's multiple doors and there's a big, there's a big like horseshoe where you kind of drop people off. And I'm and then I saw Jesse and I was like, where'd you park? And she was like, I valeted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she went to the right entrance. So yeah, yeah I got lost. I, I And I'm so sorry that happened to you, man. That's kind of like having a bleeding ulcer and almost dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I was getting to is, um, I was just reminded how much I do, I hate hospitals. I, now, and that I appreciate hospitals; they're absolutely right. necessary. But like, I get, and this is probably something a lot of people relate to. Is like, I've never been in the hospital personally. Like, I've never had to go to the hospital for anything. Mm -hmm. um, I've been at like the doctor, or have had like very small procedures at like an outpatient clinic but never been in a hospital and when I go into a hospital and and like on the floor that Lewis was on, like you had to pass by several rooms that were open and like these people are in different states of yeah. disrepair. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they're screaming. Yeah, well there's one guy who was ha having a interesting exchange with a nurse. Yeah. There's interesting scents. Yeah, and that I float about. And again, I this is I don't know what it is. I did. I was going to therapy <laughs> right after that. I didn't get into this, but um, I don't know. I just get this feeling that I'm just like I don't want to be here, and I don't want to be a patient here ever. Yeah, and you feel like 
being here might make me sick. Like I think things like that. But and there's people who have to spend not just oh gosh. You know, we 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 met the kids at, at St. Jude who basically to, you know, some yeah, of them have spent the majority of their lives in that environment. And places like St. Jude do go to incredible lengths to create an environment that is not um you know, it, it it's it, it's not depressing in in, in uh, other than the fact that while you're there. Yeah, and this hospital was, was a great facility. Great, yeah. there was, I mean, there's no actual criticism that we could level on the facility or the faculty in, in at any point. You know, it's just, it's more about the stigma associated with hospitals or the fact that like a, a hospital is still, it is what it is and that's, and it's not, it's not a pleasant environment. And, and it's way more pleasant now than it was what you know oh gosh. 50 years ago or whatever. I mean all of this all the procedures they were doing on Lewis they would cart the stuff into the room and like do the scope and everything there. It was amazing. I was like I was talking to him later. We were watching Leave it to Beaver one morning and I was like, "Can you imagine back in the day if Beaver had some bleeding ulcers what what would they have, they have done? They'd I think they would have be dead. They buried Beaver. They just would have done a they would have done surgery in order to find where you were you were bleeding. I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's no scoping in your room and 30 minutes later, your your wife can walk back in and, and get good news and a picture yeah. of it. It's all conjecture. But I was, I gained such an appreciation, like I said, for the nurses and hospital staff in general, and but also a revived sense of how important it is to visit people in the hospital and not let uh, the way that we instinctively think about it, like, Oh yeah, I should visit, but I'm not going to. Uh, it makes a huge, huge difference. And when you guys came, it, it, you know, you you're able to lighten the mood, have somebody else to talk to, pass a little bit of time, you know, and obviously also give and receive love and care. You know, it's like it it can't be understated. But for some reason in my mind, I think it had gone to that place. And you know what? In a few days, we're coming up on the two year anniversary of. Lily having her spinal fusion surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, as we record this, it will be this coming Friday because I put it on the calendar. Uh, two years. And I, I'm a little discouraged that I'd forgotten what I'd learned there, the things that I'm now talking about because in her recovery, how important it was for, for people to come and offer support. Um, and again, I just felt for for Lewis and for mom, especially Lewis because his family wasn't there. And it was an interesting situation because, you know, I'm in a position where I'm spending hours with this guy that I've never spent, you know, I'll ride on the gator with him and the kids down and see the cows and come back. But it's not like the two of us have a vibrant relationship where we hang out, you know? I love him because he loves my mom and my mom loves him and they are very happy together and, um, they have a beautiful relationship and they're perfect for each other. That is that is enough for me to love him unabashedly. But in but the, it, the when gator it comes helps. to it, the gator helps. And the gator helps. But when it comes to the experience of a relationship, I found myself it was a I mean, it was an interesting position to be in, you know, for him and for me probably. Where you know, we have to assume the role of the people who are providing the only emotional support for hours at a time. Um, and you know, I really had to deal just honestly, this is, 
this is not about Lewis and my relationship with him really. I think it just kind of set the stage for me to think more about like my level of selfishness. Honestly, a lot of that came up because I, I just realized how much I want my life to be ordered the way I want it to be. Well, they're gonna come in for two days. These, this is our itinerary. We're gonna have a really good time and then they're gonna leave and get back to their cows where they wanna be and everybody's gonna be happy. And I know what my next week has in store for me. And I'm looking forward to it. It's a light week at work. I can, you know, I was looking forward to specific things. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, we weren't filming anything. So it was, that was actually a, a blessing. You know, because I, yeah. and again, I actually, with all the stuff that we have going on at work, I actually had a week where, you know, pretty easily I was readily available to support in a way that I very much needed to be there. Which is very unusual. Yeah, um, and I, I'm very grateful for that. I would like to think that I would have made the right decision to change whatever I was doing in order to be there anyway. But I don't know if, if I would have made the right decision because I was still wrestling with the selfishness of like my plans, my life, my time, my desires, my comfort. You know, it was I mean it's again I'm it's it's embarrassing to talk about, but I feel like that's that's part of my takeaway in terms of my growth in this situation is um you know, what really is love in this situation? It's making a decision to be there. It, well, it, aspiring to be better at loving somebody that I do love and knowing that I just didn't, that I had so many competing personal desires that were just lame. Sure, yeah, it's it's difficult to go through that. It's difficult to, to hang out at a hospital. It's difficult to know what to talk about. It's like, but really, these are like, these are things that in your own brain you would complain about? Well, I think um, everybody. I think most people, most people would. I mean, there are some people who are, there are some people who are naturally, I mean, my wife being one of them, uh, naturally equipped to just, you know, like she can walk into the hospital room with Lewis and she, A, she knows exactly what to say. She knows what to say and she knows what to do. And she, and she could talk to you, she could talk to somebody forever. I come in and I'm like, Welcome to California. I make I make a joke, right? And 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 which is helpful, but yeah, it's kind of I relate to that because it's like searching for how did I get myself in this situation? Well, and a lot of times, the, I don't know what to do here. Well, My instincts don't apply. Well, and I've actually in in many different ways. Uh, this is one of the advantages, and I don't know if it, it, advantages and disadvantages of being married to someone who compliments you in a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. Who has a characteristic, like for me, I can just be like, oh, Jessie is really good at that. Like she knows what to say, she knows how to comfort somebody. So the unit of Rhett and Jessie can comfort someone because Jessie will do it because I can't do it. And for me, it's a it's part of what you're saying, which is just like, well, I got too much. I got too much stuff I got to get to. I mean, my 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 stuff that I got to worry about is more important than this. Right. There's part of it that that's that. And then the other side is just feeling inadequate. 
Well, and also, what happens when the comforting aspect of the unit is the one that needs comforting? <laughs> you know, it's like it kind of breaks down internally at that point yeah, too, right? That's when you hire someone. <laughs> oh shoot! No, no, yeah, it, it, it exactly. That's that's where it, that's where it comes. It's not a good thing. I'm saying it's you end up creating a your deficit can grow because you're relying on someone to and fill I, that. And I learned so much from Christy to be able to meet people's needs and have empathy. You know, I guess that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about being empathetic. Yeah, I think um, that's part of it. And it it again, that's why I have I'm so I'm so in awe of of people who devote their lives in the field of nursing and uh you know, all the people who would the people who would come in and clean the room. You know, um the assistance to the nurses, everybody who would, who have devoted their lives to caring for people in that way, is just, it's, it's amazing, uh, and it draws into focus w- ways that I can kind of step up and be a better person. Hmm. I think, I think, in watching those people and, you know dealing with the patients and even in in the moments of frustration and in confusion and just having composure and still having just a he just bringing a just bringing healing to a situation is something that i don't know my eyes were really open to that i think when, when lily's situation was different because it was it was a planned procedure and it was a controlled recovery that we were prepared for but so there was there was never any huge scrambling emergency moment. I think that's the difference here that then there were there were ugly aspects to it, you know, to the, to this experience that I I witnessed firsthand people stepping up and and um helping. Well, and what it makes me think about is um people who, you know, Lewis, he's home now, right? So it was an incredibly difficult week, full of lessons, but what if the second week was just like the first week and the third week was just like the second week? Mm-hmm. And people who uh, have their their lives turned upside down because someone be- becomes critically ill, terminally ill, like if it happens to somebody in your family, if it happens to one of your children, and then all of a sudden your life basically becomes what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that is, that becomes your new normal. Um, which again, I mean, I'm gonna keep plugging St. Jude. We did not, I didn't expect to. Um, but they helped us understand right. all the support that a, that a family needs. Like they have a, they have a program uh, at St. Jude that is specifically designed for siblings of mm-hmm. ki- terminally ill kids and and because what they've seen is that these kids they have emotional needs too. Yeah. And when all the attention and all the resources are going on this person who is sick, well, what happens what happens to you? I mean, I think in in the uh the book and the movie um Wonder um is all you know, it, they t- they talk about the the older sister's, you know, story. Anyway, all that to say St. Jude is is sort of like love in action. You're talking about like what you can do personally. Um, yeah. 
and they've kind of created a whole system to support that kind of love and action. It's kind of, this experience I think is, it's just kind of jostled me awake to my unwarranted expectations that my life is gonna be, continue to be what I expect it to be. You know, um, we've, we experience so much positive things and it's like, you know, you start in in this conversation. We start to feel a little guilty about it, but I, I, it's not that I want to feel guilty. I, w- I want to be grateful, um, but I also want not to live my life as if I expect or demand no curveballs. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, I that I so, and we talked about this before. There are many times when things are going well, and I think. Both of our personalities are actually geared towards, all right, kind of expecting something to go wrong because it just, things shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, things are going well right now. So surely the bottom's got to drop out somewhere and, and, and sort of just anticipating that something like that will happen. But also at the same time, knowing I am not emotionally prepared and I'm also not like, I, I am also too selfish right now to be able to take this yeah something that would inconvenience me to that level yeah um i'll i'll share one more image something that i want to a, a memory that i want to stick with me i'll i'll share with you in order to help solidify it since sometimes maybe saying stories helps me remember them or at least now i'll have an audio record um oh gosh we must have been th- three days in, they had started allowing him to drink and eat some like liquefied foods, but then they they had evidence that he might have been bleeding again. So they, it was kind of a panic mode for a few minutes and then they pulled, well not a few minutes, but longer than that. They decided to pull back and he's not allowed to eat or drink anything as they monitored him. Now, it turns out that he was not bleeding anymore but it was a it, that was a setback in terms of his experience, and it, you're confined in the hospital on the opposite coast um, with me supporting you every morning alone. <laughs> no, he was he was very gracious, but it was very frustrating um, to not even be able to drink water at all, and it was so it was you know it was tough to keep his spirits up, and um, the television helped. I know at home, like he he falls asleep to the television on. It's like that's like his white noise. So that helped him get some rest. And then, but the thing that happened a few hours later after the the step backwards, not being able to even drink anything, and him him like literally being parched. Um, the television went just a fuzz, and I look at it. He didn't say a word, but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like the main thing that's feels like we're holding this together now. It's just the television. There's no food. There's nobody else but me to talk to, and now the television is like weak signal. It said like signal cannot be acquired. I'm like, oh crap, and then I'm like panicking inside, and I'm like trying to put on a positive face, and I'm like, well. 
what do we what do we do now? And then I'm like, I stood up and I'm like, I look at the television, kind of like when you open the hood of your car when you know something's wrong with it, and you're supposed to look at the motor before you decide to get someone who's qualified to fix it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna look at the television. Uh, what do we do now? And so I'm standing there at the foot of the bed, and then I was like, it looks like I'm your only form of entertainment. And then I just started doing a, I guess I'll call it an Irish jig. Like it was, it was, it was kind of a river dance thing. There was some elbow movement though, and a lot of leg movements and some kicking. How long did that last? Um, till I got winded. Till I got a smile out of him, and then I was like, "Do you have any cash?" He said, "No, I don't." I don't have any, I don't know where my wallet is. And I was like, well then I'm not gonna strip for you. And then I got a laugh out of him. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time he had laughed, I don't know, since before he landed. And um, and then, it, I, so that helped, but then I ended up unplugging the television and um, doing all sorts of religious ceremonies in my own brain and plugging it back in and it started working. So we got Leave It to Beaver back on, and some prices right, but um, and then they started introducing, allowing him to eat, drink water, and then eat these like ices, like lemon ices, but he had been talking about these lemon ices because they had let him have them, and then they took them away, and then a whole day later, he's like talking about these lemon ices. Anything, yeah. At that point, oh gosh, it was like a, it, it was like a mirage in the room. I felt like. And they finally get they they finally told him he could have one, and it, I br they brought it in there, and this was like a culmination of like hours and hours of being fixated on it. And then he's he had this lemon ice, and he's eating. I'm like, "How's that lemon ice?" And he was like, "Oh, it's good, good, good." <laughs> and I said, "I said, what did you say?" He said, "He said I like that lemon ice." I was like, "No, what did you say?" And he said, it's good, good, good. <laughs> and I said, that's exactly right. <laughs> so I'll never forget that. Now what happened to the cows? They're who fine. Who, who took, uh, his, what, what his, happens when His you... brothers and some, they, he had someone else who helps with the farm who helped with the cows. Was it Ted, Fred, or Ned? I don't know. Who's the cow? Probably guy? all of them. The cows are taken care of. Uh, we got him on a plane. His daughter picked him up, drove them home. They got home that night. It was 10 o'clock at night after a long day of traveling, but he was doing fine. Uh, evidence being, right when they got home, they took their luggage in the house, and then Alice and his daughter told Christy, like took the luggage in the house, and then he immediately came back outside, grabbed the leaf blower, and started blowing off his carport. <laughs> and then the next morning he got up and he said, he was going out the door, and mom said, well, you can't, where are you going? He was like, I'm getting on the gator, I'm going out there. She said, well you can't go out there without me, I gotta get ready. My mom, my mom, she likes to get, she likes she, to take her time to get ready. She takes a while to get ready. Well, I, she likes to take her time. Well, okay. Let's just say it's a choice. I'm just saying I remember it from my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm going out right now. And she said, well let me put on my house coat. And then she was telling Chris, she was like, so for the first time ever, here I am in just my house coat, driving around can't out let, here in the gate. Can't let the cow see you. And then, so he surveyed his property, came back, parked the gator, went inside, sat down in his recliner, and mom said that was the first time he seemed 100% at ease 
in over a week and a half. Yeah, he's back in his environs. Yeah, so he's doing well. He's got to, he's got to tackle these ulcers long term and figure yeah. out. And they're, they're going to monitor that, and they're going to figure. They're, the, they're going to get to the bottom to of the all bottom that. Of why it's happening? Right, but he didn't have to stay in California to deal with all of that. So he's doing that back home, and uh, um, like I said, I talked to him right before we came in here, and he said he was in a meeting. Yeah. with some guys and that he was doing something tonight. So he's like. Probably Ned, Ted, and Fred. Uh, oh yeah. The brother summit. But Cindy Lewis, my love, my father-in-law, <sighs> and uh, I don't know, thank you for hearing me out. I don't know, take from it what you will. I, I know I've taken a lot from the experience and I'm, I'm grateful to have had it even though uh, uh, it was in in no way easy. Um, very, feel very grateful for the for the outcome for for him and for mom. Thank you for sharing, Link. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, we'll close with a quick wreck. Um, I'm going to recommend a another podcast, uh, podcast that I've been listening to that we are in no way affiliated with, um, but I really like called Science Versus. It is a approximately half hour weekly podcast um, where they very simply take a subject of any kind, it might be like uh, climate change. It might be DNA, like you know, hereditary companies. It might be um, vaccines. It might be gun control. It's, it's basically just issues that people throw all kinds of opinions out, uh-huh. and they say we're only going to talk about what the what the latest science is. And they do like upwards of a hundred, uh, you know resources or references mm. in each podcast to it's very well researched half hour and uh if you're the kind of person who's just an inquisitive mind and you want to know what the science says about a particular thing you can just scroll through they've already addressed a lot of different subjects and keep coming out with weekly episodes so science versus recommended is it vs or v e r s u s it's just vs okay easier yeah there you have it, another Ear Biscuit in the can. Hashtag Ear Biscuits, let us know um, if any part of this conversation or uh, the experience I shared resonates with you in any way. I'd love to hear from you, hashtag Ear Biscuits. Um, and we'll speak at you again next week because. Um, that's what we do. Well, that's what we plan on doing. Weekly. Yeah, we plan on it. I'm just saying, I don't know what life could throw at us. But True. Uh if it all lines up we'll we'll bring another biscuit your way. Yep.